Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Xenothesis podcast. This episode we're covering chapters 5 and 6 from part 3 Chkaichtak of book 2 Adulthood Rights by Octavia Butler. Uh, my name is Richard Acton. I'm joined by my co-host Michael on the uh, ship of unknown proportions in orbit somewhere <laughs> around Earth. Hi everyone. Yeah, we're about to dock into a sh- uh, the mothership. It literally is a mothership. Like I think Octavia yeah, Butler sure. did it just for the <laughs> fact that everybody calls it a mothership. Yeah, this is probably the most literal mothership <laughs> in science fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. I to, to be fair, like I'm still a bit um, disappointed with the fact that we don't know how it propulses itself uh, from the surface of the planet, like. You know, I, I mean, get up there. yeah, because yeah, like <laughs> we know that to um, uh, for normal rockets to to escape the Earth's gravity, you have to reach pretty spectacular speeds. Um, I think if I remember, it's like twenty five thousand kilometers per hour, something along those lines. I I can't remember what the exact escape velocity is now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's it's a big number. <laughs> So I cannot imagine it bouncing like a ball up and down until it reaches that velocity. You know, <laughs> I mean, at that point, if it's like if it's it reaches that speed and then bounces down, like I think it's literally like a meteor meteor hitting the planet and basically would probably cause a nuclear holocaust on the whole surface of the planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I suppose we just have to assume there's probably some kind of propulsion. Uh, um, um, well, I mean, it, it's hard to say, right? Because it, it it just it seems very inconsistent with the way the Owen Carly do things for it yeah. to be like a you know a big reaction mass like fiery propulsion system. So, I mean, if they have some kind of slick reactionless propulsion deal, then that seems a lot more in in character. <laughs> it's a very very directional thought. Like it's all <laughs> of it's just it's like they compress it, it's like, <laughs> and it just shits up. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, a, biologi- <laughs> a biological version of something does also seem somewhat in character for them, but it, it seems kind of, I don't know, messier than yeah. their uh, <laughs> typical way of doing things. But yeah, it's uh, uh, left mysterious. Left oh, well. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> maybe one day we'll get, no, maybe, you know, one day we can ask someone who, uh, about like, what, what, did Octavia Butler imagine, or maybe she did say something somewhere? Someone, somebody asked. Who knows? Uh, hmm. But well, take a look through the notes in the archive. Yeah. Well, shall we then pre- start with my predictions for the chapter five? Uh, yes, let's let's do that. So obviously, the first obvious thing is that they arrive at the mothership. But I thought that they will meet par- Nikanji's parents, like Jitaya and you know their grandparents. You know. We'll see Chitaya mm-hmm. again, and that'll be fun. You know, that'll be cool. But no, they they don't. They meet mm-hmm. actually the chance parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of uh, uh, different branch of the family. Yeah, which is uh, yeah, and we get some some new names, some some new Long and Carly names to uh, try and figure out. Yeah, to try to, <laughs> to to pronounce. So that's that's that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess we'll start with the chapter five summary. Mm-hmm. Um, so in chapter five starts with Akin and Tikuchak, um, being asleep on, in the ship when they've arrived. And as the shuttle docked, a pseudo corridor was opened, a narrow passage that allowed them to move to the main body of the ship. As they were walking through, the corridor would close behind them like a sphincter. Mm-mm-mm. In the meantime, <laughs> the front of the corridor was opening, but Akin could not see well as because he was so small, much to his dismay. And then when he thought that Tikuchak would become female, it would probably be a double of this Akin's size. But who knew? Mm. Nikanj told him that he would stay small, but even Nikanj uh, was wrong sometimes. Yeah, the whole um, corridor thing. Yeah. Where, uh, <laughs> like, the, yeah, that sounds a little disturbing. It really <laughs> does. And it actually says here, you know, Dichan tells them that the way they came in is a bad way for humans. They hate it because mm. it feels like they're being eaten and there were cases of people attacking the walls or even the Onkali because of like the claustrophobic feeling. So, you know, it's. Uh, I can imagine if there's like a sphincter closing behind you. Yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, 
like I'm not particularly claustrophobic and I can do just like small spaces and stuff, but like a, a, a biological small space where it's kind of alive all around you feels like it adds a different dimension to the whole. Yes. Uh, if yeah. it suddenly decides mm. to clench its butt cheeks and then crush you. And so, I mean, mm. uh, it's horrifying for me. And I'm, of course, I'm not going to judge on anybody's fetishes. But just so you know, it, we're talking about by gigantic sphincters. Not, not just... Mm. So, please, keep comments clean. Um, but anyway, <laughs> as they come out of the main part of the ship, they found a Tilio waiting for them, a large, flat animal. We've met those in um, book one. Uh, when we yes. talk, when we talk with, when we speculate that there all must be some superconductivity involved in it, and then no, it's just basically big flood snail. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yeah, we went a little, uh, a little uh, off <laughs> in our direction of what we thought that might be, but yeah, yeah. Um, and apparently, they're quite smart, about as bright as an otter or uh, an agouti. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gucci ex- coming up again, uh, uh, our friend from Brazil Tree Ecology. <laughs> um, so yes, as Richard said, like it, it reminded Akin of Naguti or Nauter, although it was brighter than either of those animals. Um, mm. It carried them through other radars and through pedestrians, on Kali, Construct and Human. Dijan had told it where he would want it to go and it found its way without trouble and it enjoyed meeting strange tasting visitors. Tia asked Dichan if they will have these on Earth and they will and they will if there is such need and will you know uh, how to assemble one assemble one. The Tilio was made of gene out of genes of from several animals, and this particular Tilio really enjoyed sharing with Akin much more than the other two on Kali. Dichan noticed that and mentioned that the Earth animals also like Akin, to which Akin said that usually they allowed themselves to be touched, but only if he is alone. Literally an animal like whisperer. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, trait that he has. And, oh. uh, yeah, it's and the other thing is kind of <laughs> like the way they interact with their technology is so interesting, right? It's the you know imagine if your your car was like a you know, low level sentient entity and was yeah. interested in tasting you. <laughs> no, Strange. To be, to be fair, I mean you know at at some point in terms of like the sentience, like it with the development of an artificial intelligence at some point we probably will have cars that were like on the oh what's the name of the series ghost rider no uh oh with what was the name of the the car that series with this black car and this oh. oh i think i know what you mean um I can't remember what it's called now. No, it doesn't matter. But you know what I mean. Like, basically, an AI, yeah, yeah. and after you can actually have a discussion with your car. And then, so mm. you have to be very polite to it. To uh, So, it, you know, like, can you imagine you're walking, you have a bad day, you sit down, it's like, car, drive me to home. And the car is like, I'm not going to start until you say please. <laughs> uh, now, did, did you see the, um, the, the post-pandemic uh, special that South Park put out? No, no, I haven't yet. No. Why? Okay. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's an interpretation of Amazon's Alexa, um, right, which has some uh, similar properties to uh, you need to be polite to it of a of a nature, right? Okay, that uh, uh, to to good comedic effect. But uh, I need to watch it. I need to watch it then. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it being advertised, and I was like, oh, okay, I need to definitely check it out. It's probably going to be ten out of ten, but I I completely forgot. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll check it out. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would recommend. <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing I was thinking about with respect to mm-hmm. the, the way the uh, the Carly kind of interact with the animals that they create is um, there's this little comment here that um, I think is something that's Tina uh, that um, Akeen's thinking. Uh, humans put animals in cages or uh, tied them to keep them from straying. Owen Carly simply bred animals who did not want to stray. And who enjoyed doing what they were intended to do, um, and yeah, this got me uh, thinking about that. Uh, that it, it seems like this is an ethically preferable way of doing it, right? You're yeah, not sort of uh, coercing the animals, but rather creating ones that want to do what you want them to do. But it's, uh, you know, it's it seems like an odd contrast with. Um, I'm just trying to think of things that we could compare it to, and uh, like lab-grown meat. Um, sort of came to mind as a vague parallel where, you know, if you're 
if you if as we're we're getting better at like you know tissue engineering stuff if we can you know grow a steak in a dish somehow then like there was never a cow involved in this process true assuming we can actually you know uh, like just take a initial cell sample and uh, not have to use any animal derived growth sera um, then like th- there's no sentience there yeah so uh, I, I suppose what i was thinking about is like is it better that you have like no mind or is it better that you have like the mind of a cow that enjoys being a cow <laughs> i see what you mean okay i see what yeah. you've connected yeah. with this um mm. that's a good point i mean what was the name it reminds me of a movie that recently um was released about these animals where they were bred, they were genetically like they were the size of a hippo, but it tasted like um, oh, um, Okja. Yes, the that's the Netflix one. Yes, film. yes, yeah. yes. That's mm. exactly this. Is what you've mentioned is like those animals were purposely created to um, uh, for the basically taste and um, just for that. But you know, obviously, in the way it was shown, it was obviously to show the a parallel mm-hmm. of what happens in uh, like no. With, animals purposely bred for um hmm. for things like meat but i mean that that's the like the the sort of con the thing that we haven't done is like we've bred for optimal like meat production and so on but we've not bred for like them an, enjoying an animal it psychology and yeah an animal psychology that is like a, a, a subjectively enjoyable experience in our, our food animals so um, that's why i was going to say yeah. that like the, the okja movie like obviously it was what's happened now but like i can imagine mm. like, at some point i don't know how would you even go about to instead of you know when you cut up something and then it brings them pleasure instead of pain i mean well yeah i mean the analogy gets a bit more complicated when we're actually talking about food animals right? yeah as opposed to say service animals yeah right? um so perhaps it breaks down a bit there but and uh, I, I suppose dogs might be a a bit of a better analogy, right? They yeah. seem pretty um, happy, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think in terms of, um, yeah, I think that's that's more a better analogy analogy here because you know mm. we we've domesticated dogs, cats domesticated us, um, but you know it's still <laughs> a. I can imagine, you know, like dogs were useful, right? Dogs, mm-hmm. whenever we domesticate them, it was for, you know, help us to, food, you know, um, catch food and protect us. And then we give them, you know, place to sleep and safe place to, uh, to reproduce and sleep. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know if there would be any use for an animal like a Tilio on Earth. I mean, like sitting on one or standing on one that as it takes you to work. I mean, yeah, that sounds cool. But I just... Don't know, like it's like having a horse in the middle of a city, right? You walk in and it's just like you know, <clears throat> I don't know if it's that usefulness of it in here. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't like it doesn't really fit with the way our technology works. Yeah, but, I mean, if you could have a, an animal that was like um, you know equivalent to your car, and that was you know I don't know like a, a dog brain that was you know better at traffic negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> That was in your car. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I can just imagine some cars stopping by and sniffing each other's exhausts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just running away, uh, you know, alongside, and then suddenly, like, you try to get somewhere, and the dog just they start playing around. It's just, I mean, that'll be really mm. fun. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I'm up for it. Um, <laughs> still, though, I'm not entirely certain about that. <laughs> um, but to be mm. fair, like, an animal that... I mean, you can... To be fair, I'd only... Th- case i can think of like the sort of let's call it servitude animal um Mm -hmm. would be at home where you for example like um you need like extra pair of you know uh theoretical hands in your house like Mm -hmm. oh can you bring me this can you you know can you like uh do this like things very small tasks that you for example you you have Mm -hmm. to do but can't at the moment for example i can like if you have a kids in the cot, like, can you just shake the cot for that so the kid just comes down or something? I was like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very small yeah, tasks yeah. that um, mm. um, maybe something like that. 
I mean, you can. Yeah. I saw videos of like dogs, dogs being trained to like open the fridge. They had like that and bring like you know their owners like drinks and stuff like that. So you know that's that. Hmm. But hey, no. but yeah, I think it's it's just a, an interesting uh, interesting question, right? The, it is. Do, do we have? I mean, so I think but the then, thing we can say is clearly wrong is the version of it from say to throw in another pop culture reference because right? yeah. we don't have enough of those in here is um uh, like in Rick and Morty when Rick creates oh, God, the robot yeah. to pass butter. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> what is my purpose? No, you pass butter. Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, yes, but there was the, re- yeah. the one of the recent seasons. There was this uh, alien that was basically eating garbage. When in reality, mm. it was had PhD, but then it was just so yeah. um, into Rick that it just, um, you know, oh boy, I do love garbage. You know, like <laughs> so. But yeah, that's the the difference, right? You're the creating a being that's capable of experiencing existential angst and will <laughs> <laughs> in order to pass you butter is clearly on the evil end of the spectrum. Yes. But is it is it better if you create one of these things that uh, is just like absolutely ecstatic and gets a, a sense of great fulfillment from passing you butter? I mean, probably. <laughs> but then again, you'll have things but like, like you at know, the same time. Is it is it better still to have created something that will pass you butter that just doesn't have sentience. Yes, that's exactly correct. And I think the for, the for, uh, the the second choice is better because in that case, you know, it's because then it's the, always the philosophical question: how small, you know, mm. how aware of the being is of itself and you know, of its rights, mm. right? And mm. the question is then, you know, like, well, you know, if we have a very sentient being, like, we obviously have to keep make sure that that it's protected by the law because we know that we can very easily you know abuse this the system and it happened many times not even for animals we're talking about humans here so yeah i think probably it's better in case of in our case not create sentient beings that can literally feel and understand things it's better just to make a robot as you say that just passes button it doesn't have to think about it hmm. yeah I mean, it's it, it, like in, in in a lot of ethical theories though like having another mind that's having a positive experience is like a net good right for the universe but the whole question of being able to create minds that have um that, where you have like influence over what it is that they find pleasurable seems like a really challenging meta-ethical yeah. conundrum <laughs> yeah I mean, oh, so that's why I'm kind of uh, like hesitating between the one that enjoys it and the one that just isn't sentient if it can do it without being sentient. Yeah, because, like at least that one doesn't have ethical problems to discuss. Yeah, I think that's the in the our world. It's probably better just to go for the solution that doesn't require involvement of any of the ethical, uh, <laughs> you know, approval because that's gonna be a pain in the ass, and hmm. it's going to cause another discourse and a lot of um, issues because basically we can tell by history so it's better just to leave mm-hmm. it not sentient and yep. just you know programmed to what it needs to do and that's it yeah that way you don't have to hear it say I wasn't programmed for friendship <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, let's go back from the, from the <laughs> conversation here um, yes Dichan then suggested maybe he could learn from the Uloi how to look after the animals we're talking about Akin you know having the animal whisperer um, perk um, mm-hmm. he could do everything except for breeding them you you put in the code in here you control both animals and people by controlling their reproduction controlling it absolutely ah yes yeah, I just wanted to kind of uh, emphasize that that quote there when they're talking about it Akeem can can learn everything about them, but you just can't control their breeding. Mm-hmm. And it's another one that's reserved for the Uloi, as you put following it. Yeah. The, uh, just another little um, uh, kind of subtle indicator that the Uloi are the ones who are really in charge of everything. Yes. Here. <laughs> They're dominant here. Well, yeah. Not really all that subtle, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of undercurrent in, in much of the much of this book is that like the Owen Carly don't seem to want to like their their society doesn't think the Uloi are like actually the ones who are in control of everything. But they very clearly are yes. in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it's certainly unclear to what degree the um 
like the decision making power is actually uh, uh to be honest i can um, imagine like available to the mm-hmm. yeah as you're saying the decision power like i can imagine it being be like um you know if you can if a being can give you pleasure right mm-hmm. um for i don't know doing something can you imagine like mm-hmm. you're trying to make a decision and then like whatever decision you want to like make right the Ola can steer you by giving you pleasure towards the more pleasure towards the decision that it's more favorable for than Uloi than for you. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, it just feels to me that the Uloi are very, very dominant in here and they're basically in charge of everything. And, you know, you can tell because they're basically, I would say at this point of the book, I would say they're basically a parasite that really um, ingrained themselves in this society mm-hmm. but I, mean, I think it's one of those things where it's a like calling it uh, saying parasite might be a bit um i mean maybe they were originally in some sense parasitic mm-hmm. but um but like what you said earlier with cats domesticating humans right we have kind of a mutual arrangement right True. The, there are now like the, there are now a lot more cats around <laughs> than um there would otherwise be uh and humans seem to enjoy the cats so I don't know, <laughs> the cats seems vaguely mutually beneficial you sound very um <laughs> not a cat person oh okay i was going to say the yeah, cats they kill and eat all my birds oh no <laughs> oh no okay that explains why oh, okay <laughs> just but yeah just just you know general garden birds right there <laughs> yeah, cats yeah. are always a problem for killing off all the birds they I'm, really I'm, like, are birds they really are birds <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah on that wonderful note let's continue <laughs> akin asked if he could work on uh on the shuttles and the answer was yes but after becoming an adult then because there was always need for people to do this type of work their bodies would have to change but not for the first few generations or and by bodies i mean like the the onkali bodies would have to change to um adapt to the work that's necessary for maintaining those ships like we've heard about those Mm -hmm. special type of onkali that have like the extra you know carpuses around them like the protection protection shell so that they can be on the surface of the ship Mm -hmm. um the conversation then drifted to tikchak asking him what is is planning to do and the answer was to find an alloy sub-adult. Akin felt disturbed, almost disgusted with the thought that he would have to make a family with T. Well, I, yeah, this is the thing. I'm not, I'm not quite sure that um, it implies that uh, he would be necessarily making a family with Tikuchak. I think, it's, I think it, it's more at the moment about resolving whatever this uh, you know, disharmony is between them, which might just be a question of... You know, like the aversion that they feel to being linked to one another yeah. as intimately as they would be I when see, I see. just sharing an Uloi um, connection, as it were. Uh, I think, kind of, although I say, mm-hmm. I think I'm um, saying that, I think also Akin in the previous chapter um, was thinking about the whole idea um, uh, when they were talking with Dichan about the, uh, the Uloi, I think it was Dichan, yeah, mm-hmm. um, about this whole idea and Akin, you know, isn't ready for, even though it's about to go through metamorphosis, he's about to go through the metamorphosis, mm. I don't think he's ready to have a family. So I think it was the two chapters yeah. ago, talking with Lilith. So mm-hmm. it's, I think in his mind, it's still about the family, more of about the bond. But yes, you're right. I think it also implies the bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but I, I think the, um, like the, the having a family bit doesn't necessarily have to follow immediately from resolving their uh, discordance as it were i see <clears throat> so yeah when akin clarified on what work will he look for t wants to gather knowledge and collect information taught and akja changes since the dinzel settled on earth so here's a quote from a book i don't think uh, i would be allowed to do much more you know what your sex will be it's as though you were never really an eka by i am you won't be prevented from learning work, Dichan said. You won't be taken seriously, but no one will st- stop you doing from doing what you choose. And if you want to help, people will help you. The conversation ended when they reached the law at Toacht uh, and a great tree-like structure which Dichan opened and entered. There they met three different Onkali. Akin could feel their scent of familiarity, relatives of Dichan, Dichan's brother and sister and their Uloi mate. Um, they were welcomed and that Uloi, oh boy, 
Taishokart. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, Taishokart. Yeah. And the full name, oh boy. Jach, Ja Taishokart, Lo, Lel, Surahuajacht, Atoacht. I think that's pretty close, yeah, that's, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah whoever wants uh, to, is, yeah, that chapter, if you want to read it, because bloody hell, I'm not reading that again. Um, Jach <laughs> Uloi was very interested in Akin. Um, you don't know what an intricate mix you are, it told him silently. If you're the prototype of human-born males, there are going to be a great many of us who settle for daughters only from our human mates, and that would be a loss. Um, Dichan mentioned that there are several more of construct males and suggested that it should be Sadiakin. Akin, still in contact with it, broke the contact and drew back to look at it. It wanted to. It wanted to uh, badly. Like, it mm. seems that, you know, the Uloi really is... Um, Making you know, Akin wants to be uh, studied uh, with the um, the uh, Onkali, but here it says, you know, he says, "Study me all you want, but share what you learn with me as much as you can." Trade, Eka, it said with amusement. I'll be I'll be interested to see how much you can perceive. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the uh, it's um the whole point about a uh, the Onkali picking daughters or settling for only daughters yeah. seems a little uh, odd i'm not quite i can't i was struggling a little bit to interpret why that was I, I think it might just be because the process of creating a uh, a male born uh, a human born male oankali uh, construct is like difficult to do well as i was saying such an intricate mix uh difficult to to do in such a fashion that you get a um i don't know uh, a, a sane adult out of it i don't know what the yeah. but uh yeah it seemed odd that they were and the intention with the fact that they're so kind of interested in and apparently having uh, you know a desire to uh create and understand these uh i th- uh constructs i think at some point um there was a conversation with dichan in the previous chapter right about the construct Oloi. And the chance said that the um, male constructs require more mm. of their human parts in them than the Onkali mm. um, to be able to um, basically be born, right? For the mother's mm. bodies not to reject the, the fetuses. So I suspect that the reason why they prefer more female is because it's possibly it's possible that the fact that you no know, the Don Kali would worry about the male, the you know, the male part of the human male part of the construct, right? The, you know, whatever, hmm. um, then you know, increase whatever testosterone and whatever the effects of the um, humans that would that are negative for in view of Don Kali, the eyes of Don Kali. That's probably the reason why I suspect. Hmm. I, my, that's my suspicion. But, yeah, and, and I agree. It's just that the they it's, it's an odd it, it, this is the same kind of uh, odd attraction repulsion thing that they have going on between uh, uh, akin and uh, tikuchat right where they uh, they seem drawn to understanding and really interested in these construct males yeah. but at the same time they're like scared of making them but there's an interesting tension there mm. Uh, mm. it's weird and, right uh, because it says that t could become a male and Mm-hmm. Hold on, Tikuchak was born out of Agjai, wasn't he? It? Um, I think Hajis, right? Yeah, Hajis, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I had so many Onkali names, I keep forget. I keep missing. Um, yeah, I, 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 I struggle to keep track too. Um, but yeah, he, so he was born of an Onkali. Um, uh, yes. So does it mean, I, I don't remember now, but does it mean that if the child is born out of a human, its sex is already determined? Uh, I th- I think n- I'm not sure. I think not necessarily. But so far we had um, like. But it seems as though the male, the males, it seems to be the case. Because but it's, I don't know if it's also the case. Because we females. know that there's construct on Kali born on construct male constructs, and there's obviously mm-hmm. females, and then we know there are females born from humans that construct from human uh, mothers. So the only mm-hmm. step was then akin the human-born male construct. Hmm. So I suspect that the onkali-born constructs are like basically the onkali, onkali, pure onkali-born from onkali, you know, eka, sexless children, 
Whereas yeah. in humans, you have predetermination of their sexes ahead of time. Uh, potentially, yeah. I, mean, I think there might be... Um... Although they probably will go through the metamorphosis still and, you know, like like Don Kali, but it's going to be different because for them, it's more clear of what they will become. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I th- it, it, it does seem biologically possible for them to... Uh, potentially go a different route a little bit later developmentally, especially given their additional uh, plasticity that they seem to True. be able to endow. But yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, it, it certainly seems to be the case that they they pick for the males in advance. Yeah. But yeah, I, who knows what they do yeah. for the females. But yeah. Um, I don't think we've uh, encountered that. But yes, it's just as we were talking and the book goes, Akin wasn't sure if he liked the Uloi. For the Uloi, Akin was not a male, but Eka, a sexless child. Child trying to make adult bargains. They viewed them as children, although they experienced much more than the Onkali that were safe on the ship. The children of Onkali could take their time in growing, whereas on the, on the earth, those on the earth needed to be tough as nails, you know, and the, Akin was a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with his uh, abduction and survival and all of the rest of it. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh, so, more mature. Yeah. Uh, in uh, uh, mentally than the Owen Carly children that this uh, uh, <laughs> um, Uloi is used to encountering. Exactly. So Akin, this mm. is except from the book. Akin looked at each other. How can it be good for me to be treated as though I were younger than I am? He asked. What lesson is condensa- condensation? Uh, supposed to teach me about this group of my people he would not have spoken so bluntly if Lilith had been with him. She insisted on more respect for adults. Dichan though simply answered his question as he expected teach them who you are. Now they only know what you are, both of you he focused for a moment on Tikuchak you are here to teach as well as to learn which was just about what Taishokak has said and Taishokak had said as though to a a much younger child. So yeah it's Mm. you know like this this whole concept of like children not being listened to at all, with Akin probably having much more experience than you know than a lot of the Onkali that you know are on the ship. Yeah, it's uh, there's the another thing with the like the Uloi and the way the Uloi kind of have power, right? They they always seem we had Kagoyat who was very condescending, um, and <laughs> we have uh, uh, Khan who is also apparently very condescending. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Nikanj doesn't seem as bad, but um, still had some. Uh, it took some pretty big liberties with Lilith, yes. right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, I'm really, I, I I'm really curious in terms of the fact that what's going to happen with the construct Uloi, because hmm. I don't think we'll encounter any of them in this book. But the next book is going to be another character that's going to be the. As we were joking earlier, that the Messiah, the construct Oloi, hmm. that suddenly, you know, like with Akin, they unlock the fertility of the humans, and then all things go to shit. Basically, the Onkali realize that what they've done, and then the the Agja just escape. They're like, okay, see you later, alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do certainly seem to be anticipating that uh, creating a construct Uloi might be a problem. So uh, I suppose they might be uh, on top of that in some ways. I mean, to be fair, like if there was any rogue Uloi that was just like, you know what, screw this, I'm going to make a construct or a construct Uloi. That, that, that's just the only mm. thing you require. And then that's that's it. You know, you're, the deed is done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose you you don't need much, but they they um they don't seem very uh, keen on acting against consensus, right? That's pretty uh, unusual for yeah. them. So if there wasn't a consensus for it, then uh, seems seems like they might get uh, shut down. Yeah, uh, especially if they did something dangerous uh, or what was perceived as dangerous by consensus. Yeah. Well, yeah, mm. the um, books the chapter um sort of finishes here. Uh, with at the moment, um, for no reason, T touched Akin, and both in synchronization, synchronization said the same to be helped with their dissonant near synchronization. Don Kali disconnected when they felt that broken bone and started suggesting looking for a sub adult Uloi to fix it. At this point, Akin felt a shudder. His whole life, he heard about Uloi children, not male or female, and now he felt that he was just a young, interesting thing, not a living being, where no one would listen to him. 
And you know, the chapter ends with Akini wishing to going back to his true home, feeling all alone on this massive mm. ship. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely doesn't feel as though he's being <laughs> taken seriously, and the whole conversation about finding and. Uh, Uloi subadult is kind of taking place. It's basically uh, parents are pre-arranging marriage for for kids. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> and their kids are not really being involved at all. Yeah. They're, they're present and it's being discussed in front of them, but they're not being given any input. It's pretty crazy <laughs> that in so many countries still there are like pre-arranged marriages still happening. Like, you no know, parents meeting with four parents, with, like pictures and gifts, and then we're like discussing, you know who their kids are and stuff like that it's pretty crazy mm. yeah that's a, a odd practice i mean i suppose it uh, i can see how it made sense but uh it, yeah it seems very anachronistic these days it really is mm. but anyway i guess let's go to my chapter six prediction um there was one uh-huh. other thing i just wanted to briefly touch on in this chapter which was the um when we kind of came into the ship and we uh, saw uh, kind of a few of the different like branches of the family, right? There's the the, the char and the low branches, yeah. and they have like family resemblances. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it's a bit more uh, like a bit more accentuated than you have in humans because you know they have this like greater biological flexibility. Yeah. But I thought that whole um, uh, that whole aspect of the way that this like the different sort of branches of the Owen Carly family is even like within the uh, um, the kind of main clans as it were the main branches of the the Toa uh-huh. the, the Akchai and the the, uh, the Jin so um, you know they have their own little kind of slight specializations or differences like yeah. uh, uh, Akeem was you know remarking on the the physical similarity that uh, he had to the Jas um, Uloi that was the same yeah, height of, of it ja- yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little uh, little note about the way the Arncarly family structure works. To be fair, it's interesting to like. I'm sure there's some nerd out there who like uh, drew the family trees and maybe some based on the little hints from the book, like created characteristics for each like family tree or like <laughs> clan, as you called it. Hmm, I don't really know if there's a. I've not like looked up um, a lot of fan art of this series. It'd be interesting to see what that. Uh, what that yields that'd be interesting I have to go do some googling <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah your uh your chapter six sure. predictions um so akin was probably going to try to learn how to deal with the condescending behavior towards him and like trying to you know show that he's not a child that he experienced much mm-hmm. more than the onkali did on the ship and maybe potentially he meets his oloi partner potential oloi partner i don't know I wasn't mm-hmm, certain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's there's, there's a number of things that kind of could happen yeah. in the the next few uh, chapters, right? And like those definitely seem like things that will happen, but they don't really occur quite yet, right? Uh, in the, the yeah. next chapter, well, I suppose he meets he meets an Uloi who kind of takes him more seriously. Yes, yes, um, we which is we mm. meet a teacher, a king's teacher, which. I mean, to be fair, it's interesting, the aspect, you know, like when you, um, to be fair, this, this chapter was probably one of the more, the more interesting ones so far, because we get to learn about the biology of the Agjai Onkali hmm. that haven't been changed hmm. by the trade with the humans. So I think it's, it's one of the more interesting chapters to, to discuss, to be fair. Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get started then with the, the chapter summary. I sure. Suppose. So it starts with the chapter starts <laughs> yeah. with Akin and Taishokakt being in a large, dark, open area, very dark. It says. Yeah, I just remarked there that the the when they say dark, it's like completely dark. Yes. But they can see in infrared, yeah. so they can see all of the like the ship has its infrared glow, and then they can see the body temperature of the different in, like people in the room. Yeah. Which. Yeah. We talked a bunch before about infrared vision, but yeah, just pointing out that that's what's going on here. Yeah. It's uh, fun. Um, and Taisho Hag asking Akin if he is afraid. Um, only in a bit we learned that they are in the area where the special Uloi live, the caterpillar-like Uloi, covering smooth plates that protected them. These were the same Uloi that first were to explore the war-ruined Earth. And here's a description of, of the Oloi in the book. It had the mouth parts vaguely like those of some terrestrial insects. 
Even if it had possessed ears and vocal cords, it could not have formed anything close to human or Onkali speech. Yet it was as Onkali as Dichan or Nikanj. It was as Onkali as an intelligent being constructed by an Uloi to incorporate the Onkali organelle within the cells, as Onkali as Akin himself. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> just wanted to note here that the first encounters between humans on the war and Earth and the Oankali may well have been between these like large, scaly, vacuum and radiation-hardened caterpillars yeah. with like insect mandible mouths, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, Earth thought uh, Steyer was bad. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. That that's can you imagine? Like you're one of the remnants, and there's this little. There's this massive caterpillar just slowly walking towards you. It's just like, yeah, yeah I, the radiation is making my mind just go crazy. Yeah, so we just had a nuclear war, and now there are giant alien caterpillar insect mandible can, thingamajiggies. Can you imagine all those conspiracy <laughs> theories, like the Earth is hollow and there's like aliens inside of it, like, and the people are like, yeah, that was true. That's definitely that was what's happening, and it's crazy. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> And I, I think I seem to remember, like way back in the first book, there was something about the Oankali having to like uh, sedate humans when they caught them because they were terrified. Yes, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> like th- this may be why. Uh, yeah, now we know the reason. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so these were the Oankali uh, one trade before they found Earth. One trade before they used their long memories and vast store of genetic material to construct speaking, hearing, and bipedal children. Children that would be more acceptable for humans. I mean, Hmm. didn't do that such a great job, to be fair. A little bit, right? yeah. But I, I thought it was a really fascinating uh, thing, right? Because they they clearly anticipated they were going to be meeting the humans, and they had some some kind of limited information about them, mm-hmm. and then, uh, the, like the the fact that they had the ability to to revive a spoken language that they just hadn't used at all for probably millennia. Uh, yeah, was that's another kind of. I mean, it's interesting they even had a spoken language in the first place, right? That there was one that existed that they could go back to, uh, given that it seems like they're. I mean, um, to be fair, I bet there's some like Onkali nerd that was like um, trying to remember the speech just because, like, and writing essays about, like, oh, the pro- this sentence should be pronounced this way because of the um, third trade in the in the star system, blah, 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 because, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I can imagine somebody being like that. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, there's probably also, I mean, if it was going all the way back to, like, when the... The kind of they were the Uloi were like first integrating some other intelligent species uh-huh. into their biology when then they had some language. Then I suppose there may be things where you know they, they need some neologisms, right? They don't have all the words they need for some of the things, so maybe they had to make up a bunch of new stuff, possibly. As well. Possibly, a, uh, I mean, to be fair, like, can you? I mean, what are words? There's just expressions to you know to explain certain things and you know uh, even in the english lexicon you don't have um you, you borrow words from other languages because some languages have descriptions of things certain concepts that are hard to describe um in english la- in language but to be fair like i just try to think of the how could you even translate a feeling like communication to a spoken le- spoken communication, right? Like, how can you imagine being mm. like the first bipedal on Kali, and you're like, "God, this is so tiring just to talk. Can we not just like communicate normally?" Yeah, I mean, that's that's. It, it seems odd that they'd even have had a spoken language. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they got that from another trade. Maybe that's what. Maybe. Uh, maybe it came from like because if. Whatever the root for the Owen Kali Uloi organelle thing tree may well just have had its own like chemical based communication thing all the way back, yeah. and they integrated with someone else who had a spoken language Possibly. at some point. Potentially. And, no, that actually that makes the most sense. Come to think about but it, then, I think that's probably, but then the thing <laughs> yeah. is, there's a, a hole in this theory because um, we know from book one that. Um, the Onkali only have met, like the humans were the first that intelligent species. So I sus- yeah, although I suppose it doesn't necessarily. I mean, 
I suppose there's there's a question of like what range of intelligence we're talking about, right? So it might be there was another species capable of language that wasn't quite as intelligent as the humans, but still had language. Mm. But yeah, we don't we don't know. Ewoks. <laughs> I don't know. They're pretty smart. I mean, yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's hard hard to say what. Uh, uh, what that would look like, but yeah, yeah, the, the absence of another similarly intelligent species in the history perhaps puts mm-hmm. yeah, and makes that a slightly less plausible theory. But hey, yeah. um, also they figured out how to make a yeah. language. <laughs> but also, you put an interesting comment here. Ah, about how far in advance yeah. they would have like known. Yeah, because if, I mean, if they were planning to become vaguely human-like, if they became bipedal uh-huh. and they developed a spoken language, then presumably they did that just based on our radio signals that they were picking up as they came in mm-hmm. to like i assume that's how they found us right that would be the the obvious way to find a civilization if you were just drifting through would be to find some ordered radio signals and trace them back to the point of origin um so i'm guessing they just like inferred what they did to make a spoken language and the rest of it from our like radio and television broadcast radio signals i see i see i <laughs> uh, see it's interesting. And there's a fun um, uh, tool, or not tool, like data visualization, I suppose you might call uh-huh. it, uh, called lightyear.fm, uh-huh. which shows uh, like how far out into space uh, a broadcast from a given time is based on like uh, uh, top-charting music. Oh, I right? see, so I see. Is, yeah, so if you go to that webpage, lightyear.fm, and you load it up... Uh-huh. Um, it just like slowly zooms you out from Earth, uh-huh. and it moves. Uh, so the the time is going backwards as you get further from Earth because that's you know the distance in yes. light years that you are away. So that's how far the radio signal has got, and it goes back through the catalog of what would have been on the radio at the time oh for about one hundred and ten light years. Right. Um, I never. Th- so it would have been. I never thought about <laughs> this. Can you imagine? Like you're an alien, and you're like you just starts to get like. Well, the first radio was created when eighteen, like late nineteen hundreds. Uh, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the earliest radio broadcast with like enough power to get anywhere, I think, is kind of like in the uh, I don't know, ni- like nineteen fifteen, something like that. So, so basically, um, the aliens would first hear some blues and jazz music, solid. Mm-hmm. I'm up for that. Then it would become mm. more of the probably some pop rock and then rock and metal solid yeah. well, I mean, you, you can go and find yeah that, i'm definitely right? gonna listen, listen to, to that whole, uh, i'm curious what were like the yeah, top yeah. charts but like yeah i mean the onkali would probably have a sorry onkali the aliens um would probably could like, like the historians or would be like yeah the this is the creation of the human music like that's pretty cool like i never thought about this until now that you know mm. That the history of the music, the radios, the uh, waves that we send, um, could potentially still tr- uh, send some music over to the out in, in space. Yeah, I mean, it's only like a. Um, I mean, in the late eighties, it would have been like a ninety-ish light year radius mm-hmm. of radio signal. So it's not gotten very yeah, yeah. far yet. In you know, I mean, the the diameter of the Milky Way is what like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Light yeah. years, something in that general order of magnitude. So, like, it's, it's just, just very small sphere yeah, very of where you might be able to find a very faint radio signal. Yeah. Yeah. Still, but yeah, it's fun, it's it's fun to because the way this visualization works, it shows you all the stars, right? So you can be like, what would you be listening to if you were, <laughs> you know, Alpha Centauri? <laughs> and they're like, God damn, why do we have to listen to this garbage? Why can't we like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit in Futurama about that with uh I really need uh, to watch Futurama but I'm yeah. like I I'm sort of not doing it because I know that like it was stopped and a lot of people like it's it's totally worth it it's uh, w- yeah w- watch all of Futurama it's great okay well done <laughs> yeah uh, yeah you don't get very many like algebraic topology jokes in <laughs> in cartoons there's, there's not very many of them in Futurama but there's a couple okay 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 <laughs> uh, well then let's um come back from the tangent here um 
So mm. the Akjai Ulo extended one of its forelimbs for Akin to connect. Uh, it had six of such limbs, and the language they communicated was one of the Akin felt before his birth. And as the Akjai was being interested in Akin, the same was for the boy, Taishokach Taish joined. And for the first time, Akin realized what an Uloi communication was. A complete blending of two beings, one nervous system. When Akin said he doesn't understand, they showed him what was happening, the incredible unity between them. And before he could even feel any terror, it all stopped. How did they not lose themselves in the connection? How were they able to break that connection? In Akin's mind, it was as if the two buckets of water were mixed together and then this connection was reassembling the water molecules into their respective buckets. He must have signaled this. The actually responded, even at your stage growth, Eka, you can perceive molecules. We perceive subatomic particles. Making and breaking the co this contact is no more difficult for us than clasping and releasing hands for humans. I mean, I can imagine it being horrifying, but reassembling a water bucket, uh, a, a bucket, you know, putting respective water molecules in buckets, it's just like, wow. Yeah, I, I, it seems like, I mean, that, that's sort of, it feels like a an analogy for how it feels subjectively to do that, like mentally, but it, I, I, does, I don't think it's an actual, like, physical analogy to this process, right? Because the, the, when you, when they talk about what they actually do physically, they don't, like you know they don't like meld together into one yes. being they just connect and are able to kind of perceive themselves as one yeah. being right i mean the, the 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 analogy that i kind of came up with was like you know akin got like a firmware update um, <laughs> so that he can now use other people's bodies as peripherals yeah. right it, it's <laughs> it's it's the uh, he's they're able to interface with one another's uh, nervous systems to such a degree that they feel like it's an extension of their own, but it's not like a, there's not a physical thing that's dissolving or mixing in the way that a, a collection of water would be and then unmixing back because they, they still retain physically separate yeah. characteristics in, in that sense. It's kind of a, a mental analogy. So I'm not sure why the uh, perception of subatomic particles is useful for this process. No, to be fair, like, uh, I agree because, I mean, you have two nervous systems, two, let's say, independent nervous systems that are connected suddenly. Hmm. I mean, I just cannot hmm. imagine, like, this sort of, probably the closest closest that we have or something that is, like, co-joined co co twins, when you have two nervous systems in one body in a way. Hmm. But, like, even then, you know, it's you know, you have this, in most of the cases, like, you have independent thoughts. And um, mm -hmm. although they share the body, it's like there's nothing there to really to blend those consciousness. They, they just really know, you know. I don't know. It just feels to me like it's... But, like, the, the control of the nervous system has kind of, or it appears in some ways to have this sort of modular hierarchical nature to it, wherein, you know, you can have two separate, like control devices to separate brains that are sending different signals and you know like the body will receive and handle those signals independently yeah. fine and send them back to both places independently fine it's uh, uh, yeah, a bit more like plugging in a computer peripheral right you, you, you can have a, a peripheral that's connected to multiple computers mm. and the, the signals can go to both and, and be sent to outputs to to both it's yeah but um it is a weird concept, uh, it, I think. And but yeah, I do yeah. agree. I don't understand what's why the like you know perception of subatomic particles. That's not really like uh, such a big deal, no. Though in in biology, because in a lot of cases it happens. Like you know, we we can our bodies can perceive subatomic sub particles anyway. Um, you know, like the yeah, I mean, there, best there example, are, like constraints. On yeah, that. but like best examples is like, for mm. example, a smell. We are capable mm. of detecting a um, whether the you know a hydrogen atom on a molecule is in one position or another. Um, mm. So it's not like I mean, I say in that case it is kind of at the level of atoms because you know it is actually perceiving an individual covalently bonded molecule. It's perceiving differences in it's chemistry. That's not quite subatomic, but where it gets kind of a bit more edge casey is when you have um, something that's ionized in, in some way, right? Oh, okay, something yeah. That is, yeah. Um, like dissolved into, because then you have like, or electrical currents where you have free electrons of one kind or another, right? So if you have an electron that's not actually like tied yeah. down to a specific 
atom, then that you can potentially perceive that individual electron in some kind of multiplying process or a proton. Uh, you know, there's a bunch, yeah, yeah. bunch of stuff where you could potentially have a, an ion channel that will one proton pass that could in theory be amplified up to a signal yeah, that you yeah. could perceive. Yeah. And we already have that with things like photons, yeah. right? So our retinas are actually sensitive enough to perceive a single photon. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's which is it's a weird description. I don't know if it's like, but I guess it's you know like to show mm. that the uloi are on another level of um, conceptual understanding of things. I guess. Unless they yeah, can understand yeah, even like things like quarks, then that that's like that's yeah. So it's yeah. The, the biology is, is not not going to get you to to subnuclear stuff. <laughs> the, the energy levels are not commensurate with that. Yeah, but who knows? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, mm. I can ask if it because they are uloi, but Don Kali can all on Kali can do this. Uloi can perceive and manipulate, whereas males and females only perceive. Joaquin felt wasn't even such a deep union. It used for teaching and consensus. They would try to teach Akin how to tolerate, and so they started manipulating his nervous system by drugging him. Nice. Each time his body was trying to panic, he would be given another spike of endorphins. But it wasn't a complete intoxication. There was enough control left to ensure that Akin is learning to suppress all the discomfort by himself. And Akin did after some time. He discovered that he could perceive through the other being, that it could see through the electromagnetic radiation. It could feel any part of the ship, its circulatory system, and even outside of the nearest plates. Um, this contact with mm. the ship was maintained with the feet and uh, with the feet of the Uloi, and Akin realized that Taishokite was also doing the same with his. The chapter ends with Akin wondering how Dinzo and Tart people can give such a strong, versatile bodies to trade with humans, to which both Oloi responded, because he doesn't know his own potential. Taishokak then takes Akin to teach him about Tilo and how to understand and treat them. And that's where the chapter ends. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, a kind of interesting little wrap-up, right? He, he gets that... Um, gets to experience this... Um, blending thing this this yeah. melding of, of consciousnesses that they do uh, or or more of yeah again it seems i mean it, it the it's interesting because it, there's this kind of description of him like having a sensation of loss of identity right he's kind of losing himself into this connection but then for the most part it's described a lot more as though he just has this kind of additional sensory capability but without necessarily yeah. having lost his but i mean it's a i suppose it might be this whole kind of question around like embodied cognition and how the the model that you have mm -hmm. of your your own physical body yeah. and that that being tied up with some sense of identity so like losing that in order to perceive what the other people are perceiving and also getting all of the kind of physiological feedback from their bodies and so you get an impression of what their emotions are yeah. as well would give you a no absolutely um yeah, so and, in the book actually it says that for akin for a second it felt like what the humans were describing as being a god you know like that this body this embodied consciousness that he became that were ha uh, uh, being a, a soul in a way yes right. yes yes uh, yes yeah. And mm -hmm. the like, but in the same time, being in control, being aware of like your own and other bodies, but at the same time, being like a drifting consciousness. Um, so mm. it's, I think, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. I can imagine, like, you know, how do I describe this? Like, it's when his own limitations of the body have stopped, and now he's a bigger part of something, like. Like often people, I don't know, describe a consciousness of like, for example, of pl uh, of plant. Like, although it's that's a very far fetched thing, but I would say that the, the, the general sort mm. of connection between the organisms. That's that's sort of how it felt, possibly, while being aware of yourself. Perhaps, yeah. I, it's it's odd. I mean, it, it might be more like. Um kind of the the sort of the locus of your attention maybe because i mean if if you meditate and then you pay attention to a specific part of your body right you you notice a lot more of like the feedback you're getting yeah. from from that mm -hmm. part of you right so this kind of sense of like non-locality of consciousness but extended to another body to which you're connected and so you can kind of pay attention to like someone else's 
big toe as opposed <laughs> to your own big toe. <laughs> sure. They still have like the same. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a. Uh, Mm, yeah, it certainly sounds um, trippy. I just imagine like if humans were like, you know, you, you join with some humans and you, you know, share the consciousness and you just, you, for fun, you slap yourself, slap another person, make the other person slap themselves and you both feel the pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, such a yeah. weird thing, isn't it? Holy hell. Mm. Maybe one day we'll experience yeah. that if our brains will be connected into like massive computers and be like, yeah, disembodied mm. consciousnesses. And there is kind of the illusory versions of that that I think I think I've heard people with uh, who've had like psychedelic experiences, which yeah, is somewhat I'd... analogous to this. And then there's also um, like the the psychology experiment with the the mirror and the hand. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, with with the rubber yeah. arm, where they kind of they can like set up a mirror and then put like a rubber hand and they'll like uh, brush the hand with a brush and brush your hand at the same time and do a couple of other things and then like whack the hand with a mallet and you flinch because yeah. <laughs> uh, it feels as though it's like your arm. It's a very strange uh, th- like. Uh, psychological thing about the way that we model our yeah. bodies. I think this is a lot of also important for like this this model has been used for people who lost limbs and still fa- felt yeah. the phantom lip pain like that was associated mm. with the loss of it and in a lot of cases there's like um it actually did help for people to reduce the tension that was still felt by the brain even though the limb wasn't there it's you know but uh, to utilize that mirror trick um but yeah it's uh <laughs> i mean how awful how evil have to be when you're like sort of stroking them and then suddenly you hammer the rubber hand like i would generally like i can imagine people flinching. <laughs> i can imagine just flinching anyway but ugh. yeah i mean the They've done a few like more subtle things than just like hit it with a mallet, but like that's one of the one of the ones that has a, a fun dramatic result to uh, <laughs> to uh, share around. But yeah, uh, it's uh, like because you, you you get like the ghost impression, right? You see them like put a pointy thing on the back of yeah. the hand, and you like feel as though there's something pointy on the back of your hand. It's a uh, yeah, uh, very strange. Uh, mm. Yeah. Well okay. then, let's go to my chapter seven um, prediction. Uh, sure. So, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Akin is going to spend more time with the Agjai Uloi, trying to learn about the abilities mm-hmm. that the Uloi have, and maybe trying to understand what he can do and will be able to do as an adult. Something that's like just trying to okay. think about his own sort of like mission mm-hmm. of what he wants to reach with as a adult uh, construct and in terms of, I'm talking about the for humans mm-hmm. okay yeah so uh, learn some more things from this uh, some of this Uloi mentor yeah. that he's <clears throat> uh, developed yes. and uh, yeah and then maybe we'll get around to the uh, the sub-adult Uloi with Tiku Jack uh, yeah I mean I'm sure it's gonna happen <laughs> not now but as always mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. things will happen but not when Michael wants it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, like the, I still think some of the the predictions we should probably count as as, as valid uh, for like this thing is going to happen even it's if not gonna like, happen exactly now. Yeah. when is yeah you should. <laughs> yeah, Damn you, Octavia Butler, of your different timings each time. <laughs> uh, no. To see if you can uh, improve on guessing on guessing when the thing yeah. Will if happen, I did, the then I'll happen. become a, you know uh, I'll be able to tell people's futures. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is great practice. I need to do it. You know, we need to do it more and more and often, so that you know eventually I'll become a professional. Like you know, I have years of hmm. experience on predicting people's future, although you know it's, it's from a book, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's all the uh, laws of narrative imperative, yes. right? It doesn't necessarily apply to reality. But you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah. I guess that's. Uh-huh. One final thing before uh-huh. we wrap yeah. up. Um, if you enjoyed the Lightyear FM data visualization with sound incorporated, there's a podcast called Loud Numbers, uh-huh. uh, which is about using music as a data visualization medium. Okay. Which is fun. Uh, so. Uh, if that would tickled your fancy, then that might also. I'll definitely put those in the references um, when we had, when I did the episode, so that people can check out those links. 
Sounds very cool. Mm -hmm. And I guess on that uh, amazing note, um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. No, no pun intended. <laughs> um, we are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinka. I was Richard Acton. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>